Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I have to begin today with a thank you. We had such a great la- night last night at the Marlowe's Tavern in Brookhaven for our Go for Two and 22 kickoff event. Marlowe's always so hospitable and take such good care of us. And great food, fun beverages, just a, a great time. And so many of you came out. It really was a special time for me. And I'm excited about everything that's happening for Georgia over the course of the next few weeks. And I just love this time of year because it's Christmas and everything else. And I just thought last night was a perfect way to get all this started. So if you couldn't be there, we really missed you. We'd love to have you for one of these live events sometime in the future. And for those of you who were there, and boy, and boy, there were seemingly hundreds. For those of you who were there, thank you so much for making this such a great time. And I just loved it. So I want to say thank you for that. I also want to tell you we have a great show for you planned today. Brad Nestor from CBS Sports, he'll call the game at 4 p.m. on Saturday. He's going to join us live on the show here coming up in just a few minutes. Terrence Edwards, as always, on a Thursday, we will talk to a player that won an SEC championship in Georgia about what it means to bring home that trophy, bring home that championship. That's been a little bit of a theme for us this week, if you might have noticed, and we'll keep that going here today. And we're just getting ready for the SEC championship. But as a way of doing that, I also want to kind of keep a little bit of a theme going that we had yesterday there as well. I think the best version of Georgia right now is a little bit of a nasty version, a little bit of a mean version, a little bit of an edgy version. There's no doubt that's the Georgia that existed to begin the season. And I think a lot of that was brought on by the fact, as we said during the offseason, how in the world does everybody sort of unanimously believe that somehow Georgia's inferior to Alabama, a team that had beaten the national championship a year ago, and a team like Ohio State that was nowhere to be found in the college football playoff a year ago back in 2021. Yet to begin this season, Georgia had no shortage of doubters. Some of that even kind of came out of the woodworks for that game against Oregon to begin the year, assuming that Georgia would kind of fall flat on its face and not live up to the promise of winning a national championship that was somehow some sort of fluky one-and-done type thing. And those critics were out there before the season began for Georgia. And Georgia went out there and shut them up in a mighty way by beating Oregon 49 to three and kind of rolling through you know, early part of that schedule, including a dominant win at South Carolina, for instance. And then before the Tennessee game, now Tennessee's the new flavor of the month. And oh, everybody's so excited about their offense. And you know that game at the beginning of November, all of a sudden the same critics and naysayers seem to pop back up again that somehow Georgia had no shot in its own stadium against Tennessee because, as we were told at the time, Georgia had no playmakers on offense. Remember, um, uh, Jordan Rogers saying that they had the kind of defense that was exposed and what was the anonymous coach saying at ESPN.com that week that Georgia was gonna have 50 points hung on them by by Tennessee or maybe it's even more than that it, whatever it was it was completely ridiculous and that sort of edginess that all of those naysayers and we listen around here we told you going to that Tennessee game I admitted flat out I was trying to troll you I was trying to get you upset I was trying to get you mad I was trying to get you kind of stirred into a frenzy because I felt like that was the best version of Georgia and who could deny that day in Sanford Stadium this wasn't a festival this wasn't a celebration of the pageantry of college football this was an absolute street fight and Georgia jumped them coming out of the tunnel and you were there you are part of it you made it happen we said that that the georgia crowd that day would have a chance to make it happen and i think that anybody who was there if you watched it on tv i think you would attest they absolutely did that my ears were ringing for days because of how intense that atmosphere is and here we are again going into the postseason and i think the time to find that edginess the time to find that that intensity 
you know, on the one hand, yeah, we're grateful for what Georgia's done. But as we said to begin this week, we're greedy for what they can do going forward. And frankly, we're a little bit angry about the number of people who seem to continually line up here and doubt it as a possibility. That that's the proper mindset to fuel you as you move towards SEC championship and college football playoff and eventually go for two and 22 and bring home that second national championship here in the Kirby Smart era, the second in as many years. I want to set the stage for more of that here today, but let me start, though, with a little bit of a counter to all of this. And it comes from the most prominent voice in the sport, because sometimes when you hear people continually talk about Georgia as somehow they're eight and four or you know somehow just sort of lucky to be a part of this discussion, you're left to wonder, wait, am I crazy? Now, the answer to that for me may be yes for a million reasons, but in this particular instance, at least one prominent voice would lead me to believe that, no, my thoughts that Georgia actually really is a good team, <laughs> that the 12-0 and 0 is not a mirage, and that the ranking of number one by the College Football Playoff Selection Committee is not some sort of egregious error, that I'm actually not so crazy for thinking, hey, you know what, maybe Georgia is actually pretty good. Uh, Kirk Herbstreit was on TV on Tuesday night when the number one ranking came out. We were also live on video, so I missed this at the time, but our friends at Saturday Down South uh, transcribed this quote, and here is what I think is a pretty strong defense by Herbstreit of Georgia maintaining the number one ranking and the mind of Kirk who's on TV and have every reason like uh, what's her name to kind of fan the flames of every kind of possible uh, storyline uh, Herb Street just doesn't choose to do that as far as Herb Street's concerned this isn't really a debate at all this is uh, Kirk Herb Street when it comes to all of this he says I thought Georgia would hold on to that top spot being the defending champs he says the way they've played all year there's really nothing that they've done regardless or regardless if you want to go through every week of their schedule they deserve to be at the top spot can we just pause on this here for a moment that for all the nitpicking that goes on of georgia here is the loudest most prominent most famous voice in the sport saying hey i've watched these guys every week i don't really see a reason right now why they're not number one and i think that's kind of an important thing to consider here uh, about what's actually going on with georgia sometimes we hyper focus on little small things because georgia football is the topic that we all obsess over either as a a, a vocation or a, a, a you know a, a pastime or whatever else but herb street says i am watching these guys i don't see any argument against them being number one right now he goes on to say Despite Michigan having, as somebody else said, maybe the best win of anybody and, and what they did against Ohio State, I think both those teams go into the last weekend championship Saturday. If they lose the game, I still think they're in. So that's Herb Street there saying, from my perspective, I think that Georgia is still number one. And yeah, Michigan may have the best overall win in the country. And frankly, on this show, we have no problem disputing that. The best win in the country this year belongs to Michigan. But life existed prior to last saturday and the things that happened prior to last weekend also matter in this too i think herb street correctly points out that yeah congratulations michigan you won a game you beat pillow soft ohio state again and yet that's not the only thing that has happened of note here this season that we're actually counting all of this dating back to the beginning of september and on the totality of the year georgia who has won comfortably and convincingly against four ranked opponents right now that is enough to keep georgia at number one and it's kind of nice i have to say to hear the most prominent voice in the sport kirk Kerbstreet, expressing that and i'm also going to say this really quickly this is kind of an aside then we'll get back to the topic y'all some of y'all every time kirk Kerbstreet says something you don't like you kind of jump on him as an obvious georgia hater you can't call Herbstreet a Georgia hater because this is not the first time that Herbstreet has come aggressively to the defense of UGA on, on some sort of topic. Now, I don't love everything that Herbstreet does all the time, but over the years, Kerb, Herbstreet's actually been a pretty forceful advocate for UGA. Remember 2018? He even kind of talked him up after the 2020 season. And here he is again. You know, when you think he might have some motivation to support the Big Ten on all of this, 
Uh, he's actually kind of s- stepping up to sort of support UGA. You probably ought to give Herb Street a little bit of credit for that and maybe give him a pass. The next time he says something that we might perceive as dumb, give him a little bit of a pass for that because in this particular case, once again, he's sort of come to the aid of UGA. However, however, Herb Street, the big prominent voice here, stands in sharp contrast to some of the other things we have heard recently. We played this, some, some of this for you on the show uh, yesterday of no matter how much Georgia is number one, no matter how much guys like Herb Street may say that status is unquestioned, that does not stop people from questioning it. And we gave you some examples of that yesterday. I'm going to give you another example here right now that somehow even in Georgia's position of towering over the sport, somehow there's still cowering under the bed afraid of a team that as it stands right now won't even be in the college football playoff y'all this is the kind of stuff that i think should make you mad and and part of me does this just to kind of push your buttons i mean i'm obviously i'm trying to create the right vibe going into the postseason here but in a roundabout way you know a show like this sort of exists to rebuke some of the things that just don't make any sense. And this, to me, is one of those things that just doesn't make any sense. Let me go to um, Andy Staples is a guy from The Athletic, longtime college football writer, and he does a podcast. We're going to get into the podcast part of this in a moment. But he was on Twitter kind of talking about what he and one of his colleagues, a guy called Ari Wasserman, uh, were saying about Georgia and uh, you know, kind of the scenario here for them. And I want to show you the tweet here because the, the phrasing here, I think, is really pretty interesting. What Andy Staples says is his colleague, Ari Wasserman, is calling Georgia a quote-unquote loser right now. So here's what Staples says, that Wasserman says that Georgia also lost the Michigan-Ohio State game because now the Bulldogs are just a USC loss away from having to play the next most talented team in the semifinals. He means Ohio State. So, what A. Stable's saying here is the guy that he works with, a guy named Ari Wasserman, that uh, that that Georgia somehow was a loser from the Michigan-Ohio State result because all of a sudden now Georgia's going to be cowering in fear of playing an Ohio State team that wasn't going to make the playoff last year. As it stands right now, won't be good enough to make the playoff li- this year unless they get some help. And somehow Georgia, who Kirk Herbstreit, I believe, correctly touted as the obvious number one team in the country, is now afraid of Ohio State. This is nonsensical talk here, but let me give you a little bit more on this. Staples and Wasserman from their podcast kind of going into more detail about the behemoth that is Ohio State. And and apparently the big story here right now is not the teams in the playoff or the team standing at the top of college football, but somehow, some way, the big story in college football is the teams as of right now who are nothing more than spectators for the playoff, including Ohio State. Here is some of Staples and Wasserman from The Athletic uh, debating the merits of just how great this Ohio State team is that just got skulldrugged in its own stadium, just how great apparently this team is. Here's more from Staples and Wasserman on that. If you kidnap Kirby Smart, would you rather play a 12-1 Pac-12 champ USC or an 11-1 Ohio State that lost to Michigan and Columbus? He's, he's going to say, give me the Trojans. And I'm is there any the part of you that could talk yourself into thinking that with Caleb Williams and this Heisman push that he's on, Jordan Addison and all those weapons offensively, that there is a, a Kirby Smart would be dreaming of scoring 80 on that team. So, first of all, I think he's all right about that. I, I think that Georgia salivates over the chance to, to beat USC. So as much as we might kind of beat up on the national media from time to time, they're not wrong about everything, even a broken clock's right twice a day. Um, they're not wrong about that part. Georgia would love the chance to play USC. There's very little doubt in my mind. You can give Caleb Williams 19 Heisman trophies. That doesn't change the fact this USC defense is by far and away the worst of any team that's competing right now for the college football playoffs. So Staples is at least right on that part of this. I do believe that Georgia would salivate over the chance to, uh, to, to potentially play USC. 
But the flip side of that, the idea that somehow Georgia is afraid of playing Ohio State and somehow the Michigan result against Ohio State uh, is now a, a net negative for UGA because they might have to play Ohio State. Here's what I can tell you. What's the old line about lions? Don't you know worry themselves with the opinions of sheep. Kirk Kerbstreit told you a moment ago, Georgia is unquestionably the number one team in the country. They ain't worried about number five. They're not. Georgia's not sitting around thinking of, you know, I mean, Kirby told you this week, they're not even worried about where they play, which may or may not be true when they get a chance to play in Atlanta. But if they're not worried about where they play, I would argue they're not worried about who they play either. Because the the appropriate conversation here is, is not, is not who does Georgia not want to play? I would say the more appropriate conversation here is what other teams need to do to avoid Georgia as long as they possibly can. Because Based on the season-long totality of results, ask Oregon You know what it felt like to play Georgia. Ask Tennessee what it felt like to play Georgia. Ask number 19, South Carolina, what it felt like to play Georgia in its own stadium. Ask ranked Mississippi State right now what it felt like to play Georgia in its own stadium. And this whole idea that somehow Georgia's trying to avoid Ohio State, they don't have to worry about Ohio State. Because as it stands right now, Ohio State's not in the playoff. And have you ever considered this as a possibility? Like, what has Ryan Day done for the Buckeyes? I mean, literally, like, what has he done? Have you ever considered that maybe the best possible solution for the Buckeyes this year is actually missing the playoff and getting a chance to say the woulda, coulda, shouldas of what they would do if they were in there? Have you ever thought that maybe uh, that Ryan Day doesn't want to play Georgia because I think it further illuminates what Jim Harbaugh showed you two years in a row, that he is the biggest paper tiger in the entire sport, that there is nobody more uh, uh, universally touted without actually ever backing up one iota of it than ryan day he looks the part he's got the same stubble beard that all these you know supposed smart guy nfl coaches do but his teams are not doing anything i don't care how many wassermans and staples and everybody else rank this team in the top two in every year of the preseason they're not backing it up on the field but that doesn't stop guys like this and we're not i mean frankly i don't care about either one of these guys all that much but it's just representative of the overall national media that doesn't stop them from blowing the ohio state horn more and more and more uh here they are again from the same podcast of the teams that could be in the top four who has the better chance of beating of actually beating georgia ohio state uh-huh it's the only way it happens is there a way that you can say that without saying that ohio state's a better football team than michigan can both of those be true at the same time no Michigan is a better football team. Ohio State is a better collection of athletes. And if the better collection of athletes puts together the perfect day, it can beat anybody. Yeah, that's right. Like the, the so, peak performance of the team with those players is higher right. than Michigan. So it's like Michigan, a boomer bust scenario. Yeah, Michigan is the better team and offers the more consistent, excellent performance. So color me shocked that someone that speaks with that dialect thinks Ohio State is the best team in the country no matter how many times they lose. Color, color, color me shocked that that guy who sounds like that thinks that. But nonetheless, that's probably a different topic for a different day. Here is the overall bottom line for me on this. Like that statement right there perfectly encapsulates everything that's gone on now for two years is that the preseason opinions can't be wrong. And therefore, if the result, Michigan slamming Ohio State into the turf once again if the result doesn't match the preseason opinion then it's not that the preseason opinion was wrong the overrating of Ohio State that took place during the summer it's that the result on the field doesn't mean as much because it doesn't match what my preseason opinion was and yeah I get it listen I follow gambling I totally understand that if Ohio State and Michigan played again on a neutral field, Ohio State would be a point spread favorite. I'm not an idiot. I totally understand that. And if you want to start measuring things like recruiting rankings and things like that, something that we do a lot here on this show, I totally get that 
measurably, Ohio State is still among the most talented teams in the country and one of the few teams that actually rivals the overall talent level that Georgia has. We're not fools around here. We totally understand that. But here's the thing that the national media also needs to understand there as well. There is something to be said for doing something with that talent. There is something to be said for matching your preseason expectations and meeting the expectations set by the gambling public and all the Excel spreadsheets that lead to those point spreads. There's something to be said for pulling this stuff off a calculator and actually putting it on green grass or field turf and actually going out there and doing something with it. And year after year after year, Ohio State ain't doing it. And the Alabama team that we were told, oh my gosh, this is the greatest team of all time because not only do they have Will Anderson and Bryce, and, and, and Bryce Young, they've got 8,000 transfers who are going to change the way in which Alabama approaches the transfer portal that was false too and guess who's still standing right now the same it was a year ago it is the georgia bulldogs and just because you didn't think it was going to happen doesn't mean it isn't actually happening and just because you were wrong before doesn't mean that you don't have a chance now get it right and acknowledge uh, what's actually taking place here now listen all this is to say the best version of georgia is an edgy georgia georgia was edgy before the start of the season and they went out there and vanquished critics. They were edgy before the Tennessee game. They went out there and vanquished critics. I think it's about time to get edgy again. Georgia could be on a march to go for two and 22. There are a lot of people who are a little bit skeptical about UGA's ability to do that. I think showing them how wrong they are, that seems like a pretty good mission for the next few weeks. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Meriwether and Tharp, and we are glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon, on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and we are available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. So happy to have you with us as we go for two in 22 here this year, and it's going to be a fun one. And listen, all this great stuff we get a chance to do, we would not be able to do it without great sponsors for our program, including our friends at Meriwether and Tharp. They are your source for Georgia Divorce. And listen, I, I, I get this, is that as we move towards this holiday time of year, getting ready for Christmas and getting ready for everything that comes up uh, after that, as we do that, that does not bring happiness and joy for everybody in every situation. Because sometimes the holidays can be a reminder of relationships that are on the verge of being severed or maybe kind of past the point where you can even pretend that it's not on its way to a, a conclusion I, I i get that 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 this time of year is not great for everybody and i wish i could do something to take that away from you obviously i can't but i can i think do the next best thing which is talk to you about how to set yourself up for a more enjoyable happier next season of your life and that's what our friends at Meriwether and Tharp can do for you because if divorce is inevitable if divorce is a thing that you know you're either about to go through or in the midst of or whatever your specific story is on that having a strong advocate on your side to explain the law to talk about how the law can be leveraged for your benefit that is what our friends at Meriwether and Tharp are all about so I want you to find them online the Atlanta divorce team.com the Atlanta divorce team.com and here's what I can tell you I saw Bob and Ashley Tharp at the Georgia game on Saturday these are good friendly people they are not going to force you into doing something that you don't want to do nor are they going to force you into doing something push you into doing something that's not the right outcome for you in fact the relationship you might have with Meriwether and Tharp begins before you even have a conversation with them. You can look at the blog post, the, the, the podcast. You can educate yourself with free resources and choose to do with that whatever you want to. But then you might have one of those free initial consultations with one of their attorneys, which, once again, is not a pressure conversation. It's simply a kind of a fact-finding mission. They want to listen to you. They're going to give you some information. And from then, you'll be armed to make a decision. Hiring Meriwether and Tharp to take care of your uh, divorce situation, to protect your finances and your relationship with your children, all those things that matter on that, and put you in place 
for a much more enjoyable, much more successful next season of your life. And that's what they can do for you. So find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That is theatlantadivorceteam.com. So we have a very busy show for you. It's uh, Terrence Edwards coming up in a moment. Before we're done, it's Brad Nestler who's going to call the game for CBS Sports. We are going to uh, get into a lot as it relates to Georgia and LSU. Before we do that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at ServePro. Now, along the lines of, you know, what people say about Georgia and sometimes what people omit about Georgia Here's one of the things I think is kind of interesting right now that it seems like a lot of the time and we had some of this yesterday. Right. And listen, as I said before, and I think it's important to kind of keep saying this, there is no belief here that there's some sort of natural, obvious bias against Georgia. There's not there's not this natural uh, you know, mission to, to hold Georgia down. We don't, we're not you know, conspiratorial in, in, in that vein. We just think sometimes it's good business to try to bring the number one team down a peg because if the number one team comes down a peg, then the entire sport becomes a little bit more interesting in the process. This is simply a financially motivated debate that seems to go on around Georgia. This is not necessarily some sort of we hate Georgia because it is Georgia or we hate, you know, we hate Georgia because we don't like Georgians or anything like that. We don't think that's the case. But we do believe that in the mission of trying to make the sport more interesting, trying to make the sport seem like it has a little bit more parity than it might actually do, that some things about Georgia get overemphasized. Maybe some things about Georgia don't get emphasized enough. And like one of the things you commonly hear is, well, what is going to happen if Georgia finds itself in one of these shootout type games? That's what I think our buddy Cole Kubelik brought up yesterday. What's going to happen if Georgia's in a shootout? You know, can, can Georgia match the offensive firepower of whatever, 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 whatever? And it just seems really weird to me that no matter how many times that conversation gets had, and you can all point out it has happened a lot, that no matter how many times that conversation gets had, do you ever notice that we don't really do this opposite part of that very much of, hey, can one of these high-powered offenses actually move the football against Georgia's defense? Because we're actually starting to have more and more evidence of that not really being the case. And yet, somehow, we're always putting the Georgia offense on trial of, hey, can you guys match the offensive firepower for the team you're playing? But we don't seem to put the uh, opposing de- opposing offenses on trial of, are you sure you can actually move the football against this Georgia defense? And the simplest reason why that doesn't happen is because we've been led to believe over the last couple of years that, well, B.A., you got to understand, the sports change. You know, Nick Saban told you, you don't win anything running the football and playing defense anymore. you got to have great quarterback. you got to have, you know, 50-point-per-game offense. The sport has changed. And, you know, LSU, a historic team in 2019, or Alabama playing against pandemic defenses in 2020, it sort of looked like that was the case. But have you sort of noticed that that hasn't quite been the case quite as much lately? And in games involving Georgia against stiff competition, it's not quite so true really at all and kind of flying below the radar of what seemed to be obviously known. And that seems to be the case here. Let me show you this from my buddy Chris Felica, a good statistically minded gambling focused guy that's a part of ESPN's College Game Day and a bunch of stuff around ESPN. He does this thing every week where he kind of rolls through a bunch of data for the big games. I actually I I like Felica. I think he does a really good job. Uh, And here's a couple of things on George. I think it's really interesting. Let me start with this. He tweeted this yesterday. In the last two years, Georgia has faced six top 15 teams not named Alabama. The Bulldogs have allowed 13, 3, 11, 13, 0, and 3 points in those games. And they've won each of them by an average of 24 points per game. He says all went under the total, and Georgia covered the spread in five of them. Now, you could also say, okay, well, Georgia had the bad SEC championship game against Bama a year ago. That is certainly true, but they also held Bama to, what, 18 in the national championship there as well. But against the non-Bama top 15 teams that Georgia's played, that's what LSU is coming into Saturday, 13-3, 11-13-0, and 3. So to me, if I were to take that information from Chris Felica there, I would say that the real, um, I guess, question to be answered for 
a big game that involves Georgia is, hey, not what does Georgia do offensively to keep up with its opponent, but does the opponent have any chance of scoring against UGA? The data would suggest there that's the most important question. Yet, for some reason, we don't often hear that question asked. We certainly didn't hear that going into the Tennessee game. Did you hear anybody prior to the Tennessee game asking, hey, can Tennessee score against this Georgia defense? Did you hear anybody asking that? You heard plenty of questions of, hey, can Georgia score enough to keep up with the Tennessee offense? You heard that plenty. But did anybody say, can Tennessee score against the Georgia defense? If anything, we heard that the Georgia defense was going to get exposed that day. It didn't happen. Nor is Chris Flika saying, has it happened very much when Georgia has played against its best overall competition? And if you're a gambling-minded person, I'll give this to you just for free. Uh, Felica once again here on what those really stout defensive performances for Georgia have meant for the overall total. Uh, let me show you this to you here. Uh, uh, Felica saying since 2018, Georgia has faced 16 top 15 teams, not aimed at Alabama, and the game has gone under in 14 of them. So if you're a gambling-minded person, our friends at my book, you'll give you a point total there on that. Georgia's been a pretty easy under to cash in games like this in the past. So I guess do with that what you will. But the bottom line here for me is, is that the most important unit going into this postseason, including, by the way, this USC offense that's going to have the uh, Heisman quarterback and Caleb Williams, the most important unit is the Georgia defense. Now, admittedly, this, this group is constructed a little bit different than last year's group was. And on a per-game basis, I don't mind telling you, they haven't been rushing the passer as well as I'd like for them to. But they are still a team that is getting it done against the best teams that has played over the course of the last two years, this year included. And if Georgia is truly going to go for two and 22, they're going to have to show up and do it in a big way again. And I wouldn't put it past them to do just that. That is Around the Doghouse here today, and it's presented by our friends at Serve Pro. And, of course, this Georgia defense looking to do damage to some of the teams that it's playing here coming up. However, when you've had damage done to you or the home that you live in or the business that your uh, livelihood depends on, you want to play defense against that, and that's where our friends at ServPro can step up and help you because their restoration specialists are able to clean up your mess, commonly caused by fire or water intrusion or something like that. They're able to, to clean all that up and get it back, put back together like it never even happened. That is what ServPro is all about. They've been doing this for a long time. They have honestly genuinely done this for us here at dog nation we had our big you may remember a big water leak at our studio a couple of months ago right there on a game day worst possible time for this to happen we had serve pro over here they were cleaning it up getting it done and put all back together and things have been great ever since then that is what serve pro is all about fixing all this stuff up and making it like it never even happened so you can trust them uh on all of that you can find them online servepro.com that's s-e-r-v servepro.com if you're dealing with fire damage water intrusion anything like that our friends at servepro can clean it up for you and leave it like it never even happened so trust all of them today all right so before we're done on the show today brad nestler's calling the game for cbs sports we will talk to him about what he expects from georgia and lsu and we'll also get into the meaning of the SEC championship from a guy who knows the SEC landscape as well as anybody does. But for now, to keep a theme going we've had going all week long, as a Georgia player, what does it mean to bring that trophy home? Well, let's talk to a player that did that back in 2002, 20th anniversary of the 2002 SEC championship. Great time to talk to Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Terrence Edwards here. Always love uh, having him as part of the program. He's got a big weekend here, too. A uh, big showdown in the state semifinals. We may squeeze a question or two about that in before we're all said and done. But uh, before that, 
Uh, Terrence, every former player we've had on the show here this week, we have asked the same question to because they've all won SEC championships before. What it meant for them to do that. You were part of a Georgia team that won an SEC title for the first time in 20 years. It was a long drought that came to an end, and you were a huge part of that team, an all-SEC performer on that team that year, and obviously a record setter when it comes to your uh, receiving yards. Um, what does it mean to you, though? You guys beat up on Arkansas big time that day. You were a big favorite, uh, almost like Georgia kind of is here in this spot there as well. But you brought home a trophy that Georgia had been chasing for quite a long time. Uh, what did it mean for you personally to be a part of an SEC championship? Uh, it's one of the best times in my uh, football career, being able to uh, help you know our prestige university bring a trophy that was uh, not in our possession for 20 years. But it also goes back to once you able to do a lot of those things or achieve some goals that a lot of former players who put the hard work in just as you did, you, you that goes to all of them. It's just not – we didn't feel like it was just for us. We did this for my brother, John Scumfell. He did it for Matt. I told on the boss. Boss did it for his brothers and all the other former players that came before you who – you know, put in the hard work and uh, just didn't happen for them. This was for them as well. So I and I feel like a lot of, you know, the current players, especially with the national championship last year, that trophy there was for everybody. You know, the fans especially, but the players that put in the hard work and, and didn't get the opportunity to play, that was for them. So you know, bringing the SEC championship means a lot. And I just thought about it. The last time we won one in 2016, I think it was. So we haven't won an SEC championship in a while so been 20 years since we won our first one so this would mean you know this would be special as well well it's one of those things where you want to believe that you played the very best program we've seen some of that in the NFL this week you had the stuff that Najee uh, Harris said about kind of you know taking a jab at Georgia you had Mike McDonald the Dolphins coach kind of poking at Tua calling Georgia the best SEC program that this stuff carries on to the professional ranks and you I'm sure experienced that during your career as well that you want to believe you played at the best program and for a long time prior to your time at UGA that's the level that Georgia was trying to aspire to and then after that it was trying to aspire to that national championship level and now that has happened and there is a certain pride that comes along with even if you're brother Robert and you played in the 90s, you still take pride when you see the program that you helped build, the program that you helped usher into this era, go on to have you know greater success after you left. There is a level of pride that comes th- through that. So I, I think you're 100% right that you know Georgia wouldn't be where it is right now if not for the contributions made by players prior to that, even guys who didn't taste the same level of success this current Georgia team is, is tasting. And so when that trophy is brought home the same way it was for you in 2002, in a roundabout way, I do think a little tiny piece of that kind of belongs to everybody, doesn't it? Oh, most definitely. I think we all take – a, a, even though we didn't play, I think all former players, and I'm just speaking from a, the former player perspective and not a fan, just from a former player, that piece of trophy, I, I took a little bit from that trophy, even though I had nothing to do with it as a player or, or as a contributor on that team. But I just think the foundation that I was able to lie as a receiver and the team that I was on to build that foundation uh, kind of helped win this championship, even though it was 20 years ago. And, and it, that's the way I felt about our SEC championship team, that the players before us uh, kind of built the foundation. And um, even though they didn't achieve the level of success that we did, they're still a big part of that. And I almost tweeted at Najee that Tyler Simmons was on fire. So he <laughs> want to call our national championship week 
What about Palestinian being clearly onside that would have changed the landscape of that game? But your championship now. We almost tweeted him that, but you know what? In history, it's not going to say we. It's going to say 2021 national champs. No, I like that, Terrence. I do. Let's talk about this game on Saturday for a moment. I want to do something with you on both sides here. Here would be my concern about George. And while I, I do genuinely believe that George is going to win the national championship, that doesn't mean that I don't have some concerns or that doesn't mean that I don't think there are a couple of areas in which Georgia has to like raise its level of play. And for me, one of those is on the offensive side of here. And I actually don't care that much about style points. This is not one of those things of, hey, Georgia didn't make it look pretty enough against Kentucky or Tech or somebody like that. I truly don't really care all that much about that. But I do think there's something to be said. I know, Terrence, you like basketball. In fact, that's, I guess, probably your first love. That in the NBA, you have this thing where you have like load management and like down the stretch, long regular season. A couple of teams kind of turn it off near the end of the regular season in the hope they can kind of turn it back on for the postseason. And it sort of seems like in a roundabout way, that's kind of what Georgia's going to try to do right now because they've openly admitted they took the ball away from the offense against Tennessee because they didn't feel like they needed to score anymore. And they didn't take any risks against Kentucky because of the wind. And frankly, Tech wasn't good enough to do against anything against them, so they didn't show you much last Saturday. Well, all of a sudden, now you're in the postseason where a switch that you flipped off, and I think admittedly Georgia did, they're going to try now to flip it back on again. And there's a part of me not being a former player, not being a former coach that maybe doesn't quite know how that works. There's a part of me that wonders, okay, Georgia has intentionally throttled back its offense seemingly. Can they now intentionally throttle it back up and go back out there to laying waste to people like they were earlier this season? South Carolina, Oregon probably most prominently there on that. You understand the offensive game as much as anybody. What, what would you say about the notion now that George is about to start trying to do something again that it may not have been trying to do all that much the last few weeks? It goes to, with the level of maturity of your offense and your team. Uh, if that's the case, that we, we, we flip the switch off and just kind of grind it out, um, I could take a silver lining to that because we did see the running game uh, come about. We were complaining, or not say complaining, we were asking questions about or are we the same Georgia team? We're throwing the football more. What's happened to the O-line in the running game? Well, we kind of shut it down a little bit and showed people that we can, and we are able to run the ball with Kenny McIntosh and that group and the offensive line and Coach Thursday have done a good job of running the football, opening holes. Now, you, your, your quarterback is very mature. He's a very mature young man, and I think the coaches trust him. Now, okay, it's the playoffs now. And that's been the whole sentiment of me this year, that Georgia coaches trust him. If you just look at the pass attempts from last year, I think it was 14 to 15 per game. Now it's almost up to 30 per game. You don't throw the football that much if you don't trust the quarterback make good, to make good decisions. And, yes, Stetson's going to make a decision in every game that's going to leave all of us to stretch our head. But as long as he's making more of those better decisions than the ones that's not, then you can live with those as long as it's just not in a crucial point of the game. So can they turn the switch on passing-wise? I think they can because they trust their quarterback to put his team in position to make the right plays. 
on the LSU side of this, this could be just as simple as, hey, Jane Daniels is not healthy, therefore LSU doesn't have a chance. I mean, sometimes we overanalyze these games, and maybe on the LSU side it's that simple. We're going to hear more from Brian Kelly here on this Thursday. Maybe he'll be sandbagging and, and gamesmanship and not tell the truth, but it could be that he reveals that Daniels is still a little bit banged up, and if that's accurate information, then LSU's chances of even being competitive in this game have gone down. But let's say for a second that he is healthy enough to be something close to his top-end performance. Like the other shot I sort of give LSU, LSU here, uh, Terrence, as a way of kind of keeping this game a little closer, giving themselves a chance in the fourth quarter. I do have great respect for their wide receivers. For all you want to say about what Harold Perkins has done defensively, and that's obviously a huge part of this game, one of the parts we haven't probably talked about is, is this still sort of feels like a little bit of a typical LSU wide receiver room and a chance to maybe get the big play that gives them a chance to to narrow this gap against Georgia? I kind of have some respect for them on that. I think so. Uh and overall, this might be the, the the best wide receiver room that we have played all year. Uh, Boutte, uh is, is very good. He was touted to be a top 10, top 15 draft pick coming into this season. So he, he has talent. LSU is always going to have talented wide receivers. And I, I'm going to switch to the defensive side where you have two guys that can rush the passes. When you have a guy that can rush the pass and get out the quarterback with, with – uh, B.J. Ardellari and the Jenkins kid, they can work. They can disrupt the game without even having to bring pressure. So yes, they do have very talented wide receivers, but they they have two guys that can rush the pass, and that's always scary. So you know we do have two legitimate tackles. So that's going to be the game where I'm going to be watching. Can our tackles uh, eliminate the two pass rushers that they have? I want to ask you about this because you brought this up on social media this week. There were a lot of people who were obviously hoping that the Eric Gilbert story would have this happy ending of getting a chance to come back and play against his former team and you know do that in this SEC championship. And yet we know, based on the stuff that Kirby Smart said this week, that, hey, that's a journey that Gilbert's still on right now. And every indication that I've gotten, Terrence, is, is that Georgia's fighting for him, fighting with him, working hard um, you know, along his side to give him everything that he needs, and yet it's not quite done and completed yet. Obviously did not dress last week at home against Georgia Tech and did not travel with this team to Kentucky in the uh, game prior to that after having been a part of the 70-man roster the two weeks before that. You're an important mentor to Gilbert, and you said on social media this week that you absolutely support what Georgia's doing here. This is one of those things that never stops being a topic of conversation for Georgia fans, so would you mind just kind of addressing, obviously to the extent that you want to talk publicly about this, about about you know why it was that you wanted to step up and speak publicly about this this week? Gilbert not quite ready yet. Georgia working hard on his behalf, and you, as someone who knows this family very closely, seemingly in support of all of this. Yeah, I just, you know, people have asked the question in the media to uh, Kirby the last few weeks about Eric. And, you know, and I just think that, you know, we see his talent. And, you know, one thing that I that I told you that the All-American season for him is just to be the best person he can be. You know, that has nothing to do with football, that he can just get back to being a, a, a young adult. You know, so I think everybody just thought it was just going to magically appear that he comes in. Like, the young man has, is, is dealing with a lot of stuff that it's just not overnight. It's just not yeah. going to be, you know, healthy for him. And, you know, he's just trying to – and Georgia's done a good job of just bringing him on slowly and not putting a lot of pressure on him to be this athlete that we think he could be. It may take a year. I mean, it's just like an ACL surgery. 
uh, you're not going to be your best version the first year. So, you know, I think everyone just wants to rush this young man back into the spotlight. And I, you know, and I kept saying, you know, we're going to just take it slow. And I just knew, you know, what the process was going to be in. And I just think everyone else didn't realize or didn't really understand, you know, what was going on. And of course, because they didn't tell anyone that, and I understand that. That's why I tweeted like I 100% agree with how Coach Smart and, and George Board I was handling him because, as I put it, a lot of things is bigger than football. This young man, even in football, today he has the rest of his life to live so they're I, I believe uh, they're doing it the right way they're doing it slowly and not and not just forcing him into any kind of situation that he's not ready to be in so kudos to them and that's why I tweeted that the other day Terrence your team on Friday night 5 p.m. against Mill Creek very good team obviously Caleb Towns is a load to deal with uh, but you guys have had a great season there as well first year coaching staff back in the state semifinals uh, that's quite a story there on the Milton side as well we wish you best of luck there in that game and we'll look forward to seeing you Saturday as a part of our Dog Nation post game show reacting to what we hope is a Georgia win against LSU here in this SEC championship thank you I can't wait and go dog yes sir Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Unfortunately, this is becoming a little bit of a theme for us, or a little bit of a trend, I guess the word I'm looking for here. We're getting pretty heavy on the show content. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to give you a quick shout-out here for our SEC Through, and then we're going to get ready in a couple of minutes to bring on Brad Nestler here from CBS Sports. We're going to roll from one guest to the other. So I'll give you a couple of SEC topics. Literally, I'm not kidding you. I've had stuff on my SEC through topic list now for three consecutive days that we still haven't gotten to yet. So I guess it's that kind of week here around Dog Nation. But I do want to give a quick shout out to our friends at Royal Caribbean because uh, Robin Wash from Royal Caribbean was with us last night. The Marlowe's in Brookhaven. Our good friend Jessica Slater stopped by to see us there as well. Terrific travel agent that we kind of got to know through Royal Caribbean. And we had a great time. And they were obviously, you know, they're hanging out. They uh, love what we do here at Dog Nation, which is always kind of a fun thing to hang out with them. And we were also talking a little bit. I- I'm really happy to tell you this that next week i have been invited to be a part of a special kind of a promotional cruise on on part of of royal caribbean you've heard me talk before about wonder of the seas wonder of the seas is the largest cruise ship in the world and it's repositioning to port canaveral which is kind of my home port in a lot of ways and so next week i'm going to have a chance to be on a special short sailing for wonder of the seas come back and tell you all about it and talk to you about how you can take a great cruise vacation there on board Wonder of the Seas. So I'm really, really excited about that. I'm going to give you more details about what that means for the show next week. We're going to still have shows. We're still going to have them. It's too important of a time of year not to have uh, good, fun content. But I will be away some next week working on my Christmas winter tan. Uh, they're on board Wonder of the Seas getting a stopover at Perfect Day Coco Cay. So I'm really excited about that. And speaking of Perfect Day Coco Cay, you can also be a part of that with us on the Dog Nation cruise. Jessica Slater helps you out with that, 770-718-9147. That's her number, 770-718-9147, the number to get in touch with her. You can also check her online, royaldogs.com. That is royaldogs.com. That's a website she's put together that gives you all the information you need on that. So check that out with her. Uh, she's getting you ready for the Royal Caribbean Dog Nation cruise coming up in April. And I have to admit, I am very excited myself about being on board Wonder of the Seas for a short cruise coming up uh next week there as well so we're looking forward to all of that that is going to be a great time and uh, we're gonna get ready to bring the music down here and bring on brad nessler from cbs sports and obviously we're going to talk to brad about 
a couple of things. He clearly understands the uh, the nature of this SEC championship game. And I think that's an important thing to kind of keep reinforcing here a little bit about what it would mean for Georgia to bring this trophy home, something it has not done since 2017. So with that, we'll move on now and get ready to talk to from CBS Sports, the guy that will call the game here this upcoming Saturday afternoon, uh, right there from Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's Brad Nessler. And Brad, we certainly appreciate your time. And we thank you for being with us as always. And obviously, you know this SEC landscape. You know the city of Atlanta, too, the place that's host did the SEC championship game for a long time for a Georgia team that won the national championship last year and has kind of national championship aspirations of its own again this year how much would this SEC championship trophy mean to this team on Saturday in your mind yeah I think a lot of people Brandon think that once you've won the national title the SEC title doesn't mean anything but it does to these guys you know it's a it's another ring it's another feather in your helmet it's uh, you know something that the team last year couldn't do and I, I think this year's team, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with this. I think they're out to prove that they're as good, if not better, than uh, last year's squad. And to do that would mean, you know, running the table. And I think that's what's on their mind right now. That, you know, very few people have done the 15 and 0 Clemson and LSU. And I think they're bound and determined, uh, you know, not only to win this weekend but to carry it right on through the playoffs. So. I think it means a lot to them. Um, you know, there's a handful of guys, you know, Chris Smith and some of those guys that played or at least were on that team back in uh, 19 when LSU pretty much dismantled them. And so there's a little bit of that factor going on, too. I think there's only two LSU players that are still on the team from, from that game. But, um, you know, the guys have a lot of pride in this kind of thing. And, and uh, to say you're SEC champions means a lot. And what I'm about to say is easy for me to say because of what I do for a living, and it'll be easy for you to agree with because of what you do for a living. Yet, nonetheless, I'm going to say it anyway. I also think there's something special about this game. And I've been to a bunch of them. You've called all of them. I'm talking about, you know, in, in every aspect of college sports for a long time. I just think the atmosphere in the building for an SEC championship just feels different than most games feel. And maybe this year a little bit different because LSU is only 9-3, and three, but I get big game vibes from the SEC championship that really have not been lessened in this college football playoff era, and I think something like that still sort of matters in a roundabout way. Yeah, no doubt. I, you know, I think uh, Georgia fans are a little bit jaded. You know, when you've been there five of the last six years, it's like, oh, you know, four years, five years ago, six years ago, I had people bothering me for tickets all the time. And, you know, this year there hasn't been as big a rush. Let's put it that way. <laughs> They're all gone, by the way, so don't call me now. Um, but, you know, there's such a push. And, and, you know, when the game is Alabama and Georgia, I think it's a bigger thing. LSU obviously took some glamour away from it by losing to Texas A&M. And, uh, but still, it'll probably be a 75-25 crowd, though. I think it's going to be a Georgia home game without a doubt. But uh, it does have a great feel, and I agree with you. Once you get in the building – and everybody starts filing in, uh, there's, there's a special feeling about it. So regardless of who's playing and what the records are, I still get a pretty big buzz out of it like you do. When we have tried to talk about this game on the field here this week, it seems like every topic ends up going back to Jaden Daniels and his health. And not to say that you know that's the only chance LSU has to win this game, but boy, it's a very different LSU team if he's either hurt or trying to play and not 100%. As you're doing your own preparation for this, and that includes talking to some of these coaches and things like that too, in your own mind, can you get past that part of this, that if Daniels is healthy, then maybe they have a chance to do some of what they did against Alabama, and if he's not healthy, then then maybe you understand all of a sudden why Georgia's, you know, 17-plus point favorite here in this spot? Yeah, you know, the, the two games that I've done uh, of his games, he was sensational. And 
you know, the way he played against uh, uh, Florida, Alabama, uh, you know, uh, the other games they won in that five-game stretch, maybe not so much the last of the games, and then not Texas A&M. Uh, man, when he's on, he's really fun to watch, and he's, he's their hope. I mean, they don't really have a ground game if you take him out of the equation. Josh Williams has missed the last two games with a knee injury, and he should be ready to go, but he's not that dynamic a player. John Emery is a guy that's been around a long time, is just kind of a guy. Um, you know, he's their legs and he's their hope. And um, when he's playing well and when he's healthy, there's not many cats that are as dangerous as he is. So uh, I hope he's ready to go because, I, you know, I think that uh, they keep it close at least for a half if he's, in the lineup and at full strength. Otherwise, I just don't see that they've got a lot of hope, but uh, LSU fans would disagree. I want to talk about the Georgia side of this, too, because when you guys had them for the Georgia-Tennessee game, and maybe we're sensitive about this and we noticed more than was actually there, but it seemed like there was a lot of doubt about Georgia going into that. There had been an ESPN story about, you know, hey, Georgia defense. You had some you know prominent analysts and things like that talking about – you know, Georgia's maybe inability to keep pace with the Tennessee offense. And that day, as you know, turned out to be a very good day for UGA. And it sort of seems like some of that kind of stuff still exists right now, not for the game against LSU, but beyond that of, is this really the kind of number one team, Georgia currently ranked that, but the kind of team that can actually make good on that and march through and win a national championship again. When you look at Georgia for the good, for the bad, everything else in between, how well positioned do you think they are for what comes next after LSU? I think they can be as good as they want to be. I think they've played a little bit down to the competition uh, recently, and I don't know if it's just fatigue from the season. Uh, if they were, you know, I've heard people say that they think they've been holding things back and, and saving it for, you know, the playoffs. And I suppose that's possible. I don't think that's really the way Kirby looks at things. But, you know, their points per game has dropped down just a little bit in recent weeks. Um, you know, Stetson's numbers, last week against Georgia Tech were pedestrian, but he still threw two touchdown passes. I think they're as good as they want to be, and I think when they get geared up uh, for like an SEC title game or the playoffs that follow, whether they win or lose this, uh, they're going to be in, and I think you'll see them at the level that they were, you know, when they were really rolling in the middle of the season. So, um, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's complacency. I think it's just you know, you get kind of tired at the end of the season. Somebody, I talked to Archie Manning the other day, and he said, I'm going to see you this weekend at the SEC Legends thing because Peyton and Eli are both going in in the SEC yeah. Legends thing. And I basically said, I have to wait and see, Arch, because this is the time of year where my butt starts dragging a little bit. So <laughs> I think, you know, everybody everybody sort of feels that way, and nobody's 100%, you know, right now. So I think when you get geared up for a big game that whole that all that goes away and i think you'll see georgia at their best from here on out hey brad it's great to have you on the show we certainly love your call looking forward at 4 p.m on cbs on saturday the entire team there at cbs sports we think do a great job with the sec so enjoy this one we're always grateful for your time here on our show and i hope you have a great holiday season coming up here as well you too, Brandon. Let's have a good championship weekend. Talk Sa- to you soon. Sounds great. Brad Nestor there from CBS Sports. You love that. And I think his phrasing there on George is really interesting. He says, hey, I think this team can be as good as it wants to be. And there's a lot of weight packed into that. And like we can totally be honest about this, that that 
if if there are people out there who've kind of grown with some doubt about UGA or if there are people even willing to express some skepticism about Georgia, it's not like Georgia hasn't fueled that discussion at times this year. I mean, obviously, we don't have to pretend uh, anything other than that is is true, that that Georgia had lackluster performances, you know, against Missouri. That's not the kind of team you'd expect it to be the case for. And in some of these moments late in the season for portions of games, right? And that's really what it kind of comes down to. It's a portion of the game here and a portion of the game there and a portion of the game there. But over the course of, you know, time that kind of adds up to being something and brad also kind of points out something that we ourselves have noticed that the i guess the tangible outcome of some of what georgia has been doing in recent weeks the place that shows up the most is the fact that georgia is dropping down in terms of its points scored per game at one point in time george was like i think they got as high as eighth uh and they were in excess of 40 plus points which would put them you know, a couple of points per game more than they averaged last year and, you know, right there with really anybody in college football. And as of late, you know, they're still pretty close to where they were last year. They were like 38 point something. They're not like 38 point a little less. I mean, they're within a couple of tenths of a point of being offensively what they were doing a year ago, but they're now outside the top 10 there in that category. And that was kind of one of those things that last year, you know, Georgia really made the hallmark of what it was doing. Top 10 in both offensive and defensive categories, the advanced stat stuff, the more simple kind of old school metric stuff. They were just kind of a sure thing, top 10 kind of in both sides. And offensively, they've kind of dropped down from that a little bit the last couple of weeks. But you're also kind of left to wonder, as we talked about with Terrence Edwards, okay, well, now it matters again. Now you're playing, you know, uh, a team that that you have maybe more respect for or maybe you have circumstance where you feel like you need to do a little bit more are you going to be ready on the heels of all of that to sort of jump back in here and just start being yourself again are you ready to do all of that again um i think that's a you know a, a pretty uh, good you know question to ask what an interesting thing to sort of look like uh, as it relates to all that so we'll talk about that i also want to give a, a couple of shout outs here before we get ready to uh, sign things off uh, I'm gonna. Here's what we're gonna do. Let me do a couple of shout outs. I am then going to talk about one of the topics I want to do for the SEC through because this is important news that we need to get to, and we'll get ready to uh, uh, wrap up things after that. First of all, our friends at the Durham Law Group. You know they bring the UGA. Uh, injury report to us each and every Saturday as a part of our Dog Nation pregame show, which we call our Kroger kickoff. And when you yourself are dealing with an injury, when you're hurt on the job or you're injured in an automobile accident or anything like that, our friends at the Durham Law Group want to step up and do uh, great work for you because they don't just practice personal injury law. They really define personal injury law. And, And to me, that starts with this. When you are in a situation where you need to be made whole, you need to be made right. When you're looking to win in some sort of legal proceeding, you want a lawyer that's willing to make the commitment to you of, hey, no fees, no expenses unless you win. They don't benefit unless you benefit. And that's one of the promises that our friends at the Durham Law Group want to make to you. So you can give them a call, 844-4GA-HURT. That number, once again, 844-4GA-HURT. You can also visit them online at georgiahurt.com. That's georgiahurt.com for a lot more on that. All right, so... Big news yesterday in college football came out late less uh, yesterday evening. There had been a little bit of back and forth fighting between the college football playoff committee, the, the the organization that makes up the college football playoff, and the Rose Bowl about the future of the twelve team playoff. And when college football ori- originally created the playoff, it's very important to understand that there were a lot of people in the world of college football that would have been fine had there been no playoff whatsoever for a lot of us especially folks my age and younger you know we were i think really obsessed with hey you gotta have a new era of college football a new time to actually decide this championship on the field for many of us it sort of seemed like a no-brainer that college football would originally eventually move to some sort of playoff structure that was weird the sport didn't have that and this would be a better version of this and eventually you had to do it and yet 
so many other people who were maybe a little bit older and kind of connected more to the college ball past in which the bowl even like pre-bcs when the bowl structure completely defined the sport it's amazing how many people would have been okay had that just kept right on going forever because a lot of the people in the kind of corridors of power of college sports at the institutional level at the you know conference level they were making a lot of money off these bowls the bowls were paying them very well and it took a lot of convincing to get enough of the right people to agree to do the college football playoff in the first place and obviously the biggest entity to convince was the rose bowl which had been a huge huge part of the college football story for everything kind of west of the mississippi river big 10 pac 12 they were greatly influenced by the rose bowl on this and the rose bowl really would not cooperate to be a part of the playoff unless it got that signature tv window kind of late afternoon on new year's day that's kind of the most prestigious thing that parade that tournament of roses parades a very big deal to them in the early morning on new year's day they wanted to roll from that into the game itself and literally they were fine with not participating in the playoff unless they got their wishes on that and they did at the time that was the 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 agreement that had to be put in place to kind of get the playoff moving forward they did that but in the 12 team playoff world in the future there just isn't any room for that kind of concession when you are now competing more regularly with the nfl who's moving its playoff windows around they're kind of encroaching on some of your space and they're doing more and more of that and that college football uh from a playoff standpoint just has to be a little bit more nimble going forward so they were not going to give the same kind of tv concessions to the rose bowl and the rose bowl was kind of fighting back against that and they were kind of trying to hem and haw if they were even going to be a part of it and so the playoff committee kind of gave them a deadline of hey you're either in or you're out on so-and-so day well the rose bowl said yesterday we're in they're a part of this they've they've been willing to to drop their demands and so the end result and the only thing that probably matters to you the fan is is that now cements it in its final that next year 2023 will be the final year of a four-team playoff after that we're moving to a 12-team playoff model with the top four seeds uh, are getting those uh, uh, neutral site opportunities they're skipping past the initial round and then you're going to have the next four seeds hosting teams in their own stadium leading to a, a national championship with a more expanded playoff than we've had in the past not everybody thinks this is a good thing i for the most part i guess think this is going to be a better era although it will be admittedly different and maybe there'll be like everything else in college sports some unintended consequences that go with this but this was the big news yesterday is that officially it is now done the playoff is expanding in 2024 now the odds are the sec will have not expanded by them because the sec's expansion is based more on the tv contract stuff and the fact that the uh, new contract with espn uh, and uh, abc doesn't kick into the following year i don't think and there's just not a lot of financial motivation for for Texas and Oklahoma to come into the league earlier than that. It would actually cost them more money than they would make from it. And the other SEC teams wouldn't make more money in the early stages for Texas and Oklahoma being in the SEC yet either. So while we have two big expansions uh, on the horizon here, the one we know that is now happening for sure is the playoff in 2024. But we're still up in the air about when the SEC is expanding but uh it could still not be until 2025 on that so that's the story in college football the playoff is officially expanding so this year and next year those final years when it comes to the uh to the 14 playoff that obviously georgia won a year ago and that uh, georgia has a chance to do pretty well in uh as you kind of wrap up that era of college football and by the way speaking of the university of georgia and the excitement that exists uh, around these dogs right now obviously a lot of us here in the atlanta area love the idea of georgia being right here in our own backyard 
and many of you have enjoyed traveling to those games in Athens all year long. But if you're a Georgia graduate or just someone who loves the University of Georgia stretched out across the country, across the world, uh, your chance to connect with that and enjoy everything that is going on with the dogs this time of year through our friends at the UGA Alumni Association, a great website to uh, make you aware of. It's alumni.uga.edu. That's alumni.uga.edu. This is a wonderful season for the dogs. Back-to-back, undefeated regular season again, going back to the SEC Championship for the fifth time in the last uh, six years, and obviously has a chance to go for two and 22 and win that back-to-back uh, national uh, championship. This is a special next few weeks, next couple of months here for these dogs. And so if you're stretched out across the country, if you're somewhere around the world, we hear from people all the time who are connecting from afar. If that's your story, then go to the website alumni.uga.edu and you can find out where there's like game watching parties near you because believe it or not, there are increasingly growing numbers of these game watching parties all over or if you want to connect digitally with uh, dog fans, with the, you have the exclusive video content, you have some really cool digital downloads, you have a way to use this website to, to really get more connected about not just what's going on with Georgia football, but what's also going on with the University of Georgia there as well. So if you want to fill a part of that community, if you want to be reminded of the fact that dogs never have to bark alone, our friends at the UGA Alumni Association can help you out with that. It's alumni.uga.edu. That's alumni.uga.edu. You can find more about that today. And we're going to do a shout out for our friends at MyBookie, but let's just save that for tomorrow and get ready to wrap up today's show. All right, so uh, Golden Shoes here. Told you we had a great night last night at the uh, Marlowe's Tavern in Brookhaven, and a couple of the folks that were with us are also busy on Twitter reminding you about that important hashtag right now, go for two in 22. So let's give you a couple of shouts out right now on that. Bubby Dean weighs in to say, it better be hella loud in the bins on Saturday when the dogs are on defense. You know it will be, Bubby. Hashtag go dogs, hashtag double up. You love the idea of that. And then hashtag go for two in 22 bubby i love that for sure thanks for using that hashtag great to see you last night by the way and how about our buddy mad dog was also there with us and this one of his best the lsu seal right there on the uh shore uh helplessly looking at that huge big dog whale come rolling in and mad dog says they can run but they cannot hide beat lsu go for two in 22 mad dog i love it uh, it is great and go for two in 22 indeed by the way lousy stinking gators uh, still got time to hate on them. 331 days from right now back in Jacksonville, beaten up on Florida again. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you. Special show tomorrow live from downtown Atlanta. Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We will look forward to talking to you then. And of the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. Happy to have you with us. Whether you hit us up on Twitter with comments at Dog Nation Daily or the comments section at dognation.com. Jeff Sintel, by the way, weighed in on Twitter to say it was great being with Dog Nation last night at Marlowe's Tavern. He says, we saw a lot of friendly faces, longtime diehards, few social media mavericks, he says. And then out of the blue, we had a signing of a 2017 Own the East t-shirt. Dog Nation Daily couldn't have been happier there. Uh, you better believe that is true. And so for all of you who came out, what a great time that it was. It was truly a lot of fun. And we're so grateful for those uh, moments we get a chance to interact face to face. You know, we interact with a lot of you, you know, digitally, you listen to me. Sometimes we kind of go back and forth, maybe on Twitter or something like that. But these moments when we get a chance to actually be in the same room together and, and be face to face and talk face to face, I just really enjoy that. So if you've been with us for these events before, thank you. If you would like to be at an event sometime in the future, we would love to see you and just kind of celebrate what is a very special time to be hanging around Georgia football. Uh, certainly a very good thing. So well said by Jeff Sintel on social media there. Keith Alverson brought up something here, and I got to be honest with you. 
there's nobody who loves you know being snarky towards georgia rivals especially when it comes to a gator hater stuff than i do y'all i can't go there on this uh what's the uh, Jalen kitna thing I, I can't do that uh uh keith pointing out that obviously and i was going to mention this part of the sec through today unfortunately we just kind of ran out of time we've had a lot of stories we've been trying to get to and we haven't gotten to it this is one of those stories that i'm not exactly dying to talk about but i just want to make sure i mention it so i can say that i said it but I, the allegation here is like i mean i hate to say it but it's no other way to say it. it's like you know kitty porn basically you know uh, uh, child pornography um and obviously who knows what's true these are just allegations and like this is not the kind of thing i feel like i can joke about now i'm sure there's no shortage of people who are joking about it somewhere in the internet but that's not really my style um so i don't know what that is but oh boy i i can't quite go there even on the allegation part of this uh go dogs tm weighs in to say is arian smith hurt again he has two catches in the season had the long one versus tennessee but has not had a catch since yeah i mean I, I don't know. I, I don't know kind of how he fits into the overall picture for the Georgia offense this year, but you are certainly right. that he had a big moment against Tennessee? And maybe that's an example of the kind of thing that Georgia wants to bring out in this postseason at some point in time too because of the guys who are kind of ready and available to play for Georgia right now, he is certainly one that has that chance to stretch that field and and show off the speed. There's probably not exactly speed to burn necessarily among the the George wide receiver core right now but no doubt Arian Smith is one that does and so finding a way to use him more in this postseason I think certainly could be a big part of all of that all right we've got to go for now but thank you for being a part of our podcast cool down and thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it all possible air conditioning heating plumbing and electric they show up on time they do the work that's promised the price is promised and if you want to get your heating system tuned back up to factory fresh specs just in time for the winter rs sanders can help you with that as well so find them online at rsanders.com we'll see you tomorrow we have a fun sec championship preview coming up from downtown atlanta we'll look forward to doing that with you and then seeing you back here tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by merriweather and tharp we'll look forward to talking to you then